Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, where we are live and national. Live and national. We will bring you the facts, and we will bring you, at least my advice, whatever that's worth, and that's a good thing. You know, federalism is a great thing. The private sector, capitalism is a great thing. We have states and mayors busy trying to address how best to deal with what's going on in their communities or potentially in their communities. Every area of the country is not the same. It's not the same culturally. And in many other respects, in terms of industry versus more rural activity, what works for Manhattan doesn't necessarily work for rural Kansas. We've got governors and mayors and other officials of different intelligence, different motivations, different capacities. And you're seeing this play out right now. That's a good thing, too. Because one bad decision doesn't affect the entire nation. Then we have our miraculous private sector, which the government is so afraid is going to collapse. We've got one proposal after another, one bigger than the next on how to save it. You don't have to save our private sector. It doesn't need to be saved. What's happening is government's making decisions, rightly or wrongly, forcing certain businesses to literally shut down. Forcing supply chains to those businesses literally to dry up. And the consequences resonate throughout the economy. Now, I explained this the other day. So it's not the private sector. It's not the private economy. It's not private finance that's a problem. They're strong, or they've been strong. Government decisions, right and wrong, are having consequences throughout the economy. And these government decisions... Are politicians trying to react as we as individuals are trying to react to this very scary virus? And they see what's happened in China. They see what's happened in South Korea. They see what's happening in Italy. What's happening in Iran. What's happening in the European Union. They see what happened in Washington State and now it's growing throughout our country. And so what do politicians do 
What's what's their major job in their own minds? You meant not in your minds. What is their major job in their own minds? To spend money. When in doubt, spend money. When not in doubt, spend money. When in doubt, control more and more of the economy. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're politicians of both parties. So we need a stimulus. Yesterday, Schumer came out with a stimulus that was three quarters of a trillion. The president has come out with a stimulus that's almost a trillion. Then you have people like Cory Booker saying, no, 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 we need more spent. More money needs to go to individuals and families and so forth. And by the way, no distinction between those who are employed or unemployed, those who are retired, those who aren't. Just spend. Push it out there as fast as you can. We want checks to go out tomorrow, if possible. May I ask you a question, Mr. Producer? If you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to sporting events, if you can't do virtually anything, but they want you to, what is it, self-quarantine in your living room? What the hell are you going to spend the money on? Well, I mean, there are things you can spend money on, but you'll be spending a hell of a lot less, Correct. So in the end, what we've seen is that both political parties, all political parties really, resort to the same answer, maybe to different degrees, but not even so much to different degrees, which is what? Federal government spending. Now, if I could be certain that this federal government spending would be temporary, would not fundamentally order uh, change the, the order of our private sector. Under a circumstance like this, some of it, not all of it, some of it, I'd say, okay, I get it. But when you look at the bill that the Democrats passed in the House, and now you have Mitch McConnell telling Republicans, look, I know it stinks, hold your breath and vote for the damn thing. This is the problem. And... I may be the only voice saying, this concerns me. I am concerned about a permanent surrendering of our rights. I am concerned about creating a permanent precedent for government to reach into our restaurants, to reach into our bars, to reach into our lives, and to tell us what to do. How do we limit it? How do we make sure when this pandemic is over or when it's been tamped down? How do we make sure that these these new powers that have been asserted by the federal government will be given back to the people? I don't think we can. I don't think we can. Now, I said to you yesterday, I said to you last week, it is amazing to me. And you'll hear the backbenchers regurgitate it. It's amazing to me that Donald Trump has been accused of being a dictator over and over again. He's Hitler. He's Stalin. He's Mussolini. He's an autocrat. He won't give up power if he loses all, on and on and on. From the Joe Scarboroughs, the Don Lemons, the Jake Tappers, the Fredo Cuomos, and so forth and so on. You've heard it. The op-ed writers, the editorial pages, <clears throat> nonstop. And yet, when you look at what Trump has done, and I don't necessarily agree with all this spending. I just want you to know that. I'll be on record as saying it if nobody else will. But that's not my point. 
if you look at what Donald Trump is doing, he's not grabbing all the levers of power and squeezing them as hard as he can. He's not centralizing all decision-making. He's not doing what a dictator or authoritarian does. And I said this over and over again. But others will not be as cautious and prudent in the exercise of power. And this is what concerns me going forward. This virus will get worse, maybe much worse before it gets better. But eventually it will get better. The question is, what will we be left with? Does that cross anybody's mind other than mine? Is it okay to raise this now, or am I supposed to just shut my mouth? I didn't know the federal government was the employer of last resort. There's a line that's going to get me in trouble, Mr. Producer. I had no idea. When did this happen? I had no idea. We have all kinds of programs for people who are temporarily out of work or temporarily need help, a bridge, and so forth. When, I didn't know. When did this happen? And we got all kinds. Of, you got my friend Tom Cotton out there with proposals. You got the turncoat Romney out there with proposals. You got uh, Cory Booker, who doubles and triples everybody else's. Pre- Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, everything in between, everything beyond. All kinds of spending proposals. Now, I am of the mind that if a government action is destroying an industry, then the government needs to be held to account, just as if some other private entity was destroying, destroying, I don't mean competing with, destroying another private entity, then that initial private entity needs to be held to account. So if you're going to limit the ability of the airlines to do what airlines do, okay, I understand that. Got it. But it's not the president shutting down restaurants. It's not the president shutting down bars and all the rest of it. It's governors, mayors, and county commissioners. Not the federal government. Anyway, it's a complicated issue, but it's an issue that you need to think about and an issue we should discuss at some point here, which is how far do we think the government should go? Assuming this virus is horrific. Assuming it gets much, much worse. How far should the government go? Should we hold on to our liberties? Should we hold on to our private sector? Or should we expand the central government? Massively increase the debt? And in fact, should the government serve as the employer of last resort? That's what's happening. So you've got to at least think about it if you're going to participate in this discussion. I don't mean with me. I mean as a citizen. And by the way, this is all going on well before it's gotten real, real bad. Now they're doing these things, they say, and I believe they're earnest, to try and contain and limit future damage, a calamity. Both a human calamity and an economic calamity. I got it. But people have been yelling at the top of their lungs for more than a week about nationalizing industries, about nationalizing supply chains, about massively increasing the power of the central government, 
about massive subsidies, massive stimulus for more than a week without ever even considering or raising the possibility that we could be changing this republic for good. How can we be sure they're not? There needs to be at least some sober, mature thinking when things are proposed. And again, I'm not saying that these proposals aren't sober, mature, but I'm saying you hear all that's going on, you see all that's going on, you see the panic that's taking place in supermarkets. You know, every day I go to a supermarket once or twice just to see what's going on, Mr. Producer. I don't need any toilet paper. You know what's going off the shelves now? Plastic trash bags. What are you doing with plastic plastic trash bags? Well, the virus. What are you going to do? Put it over your head? I don't even know what you're going to do with these plastic trash bags. And bottled water. Why is there something wrong with the water coming out of your faucet? There's nothing wrong with the water coming out of your faucet. Even in the areas hit hardest by this virus, you still can use the water. So why are you hoarding bottled water? This is what happens when the media, politicians, and other public figures speak the way, not all, but too many of them are. Yes, this is going to get worse. It's a virus. They're calling it a pandemic. We've looked at all other countries, what's going on. And yes, there's things the federal government must do. Some extraordinary things. And there are things the governors and the mayors are doing. Many extraordinary things. But never forget who we are and what we are. And there needs to be somewhat of a balance. And what happens is, ladies and gentlemen, when this thing gets worse, as it will, and more people are infected and more people pass away related to this this virus because of their underlying illnesses and, and weaknesses and so forth. A lot of people fear having somebody point at them and say, you didn't do enough. You didn't act fast enough. You didn't spend enough money. You didn't take enough control. You didn't use this law. You didn't do that thing. You didn't. And you can always, always expect that to take place. But short of a dictatorship, short of a dictatorship, there's always something else the central, all-powerful federal government can do. But do we want it to go there? That's the question. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. 
Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. You know, I'm not a big Mnuchin fan. He's over there at Treasury. He's a liberal Democrat. I got it. But uh, he is serving the president, loyally, as I understand it. And here we have this piece uh, from CNBC. The White House is seeking a stimulus package worth anywhere from $850 billion to $1 trillion as the administration looks to battle the economic impact from the coronavirus pandemic. The developments came hours after Mnuchin said Trump wanted Trump administration wants to get emergency funds into Americans' pockets immediately. And the package, as reported, half a billion, excuse me, half a trillion to $550 billion in direct payments or tax cuts. Now, you know the Democrats are not going to go for tax cuts. They much prefer subsidies. 200 to $300 billion in small business assistance, 50 to $100 billion in airline and industry relief. Now, what's this small business assistance going to look like? It all sounds so good. Is it going to go through the Small Business Administration? And how fast will they be able to process these applications? I'm, I'm quite serious. And you're going to send checks out as fast as possible within a week or two or three to individuals? What could possibly go wrong with that, Mr. Producer? And we think we have the infrastructure in the federal bureaucracy to do all this. We have GAO after GAO report that says our federal government wastes 125 to $250 billion a year. So massive they can't even be sure. In fraudulent Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security payments, among other things. Potentially $250 billion of the package could go toward making direct payments to Americans. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said Tuesday that the administration wants to get emergency funds in the Americans' pockets immediately. Americans need cash now, he said. How long has this been going on for? How long have they shut restaurants down, Mr. B? A week? In some places today, yesterday? I, I, I'm just saying, look, again, I understand. I'm going to take, take hits on this. I got it. But I'm trying to be a little bit rational. Uh, a week or two days or one day. And so we got to get money into the public's pocket immediately. I don't know. We'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. 
Mark Levin Show from our new temporary number, 866-505-4626. That's 866-505-4626. Did you hear that Amazon's going to hire 100,000 people, Mr. Producer? At a minimum of $15 an hour? 100,000 people. You know, there's some businesses that are making money. And I don't mean immorally or unethically or improperly or illegally. People want stuff. Now, a virus or a pandemic or an epidemic can cause economic dislocation. That's an understatement. But so can human beings reacting to odd things. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a month's worth of toilet paper and 500 masks and 30 bottles of hand sanitizer, can you cut it out now? You've got enough. Trust me, you've got enough. Now, I'm not the government. I'm not passing a law. I'm just saying you've got enough. You'll be fine. Trust me on this. You don't crap enough for all this toilet paper. I'm just being blunt. And you're not going to wear 500 masks. I bet you haven't even worn worn a mask 10 times and disposed of it. And you're not going to need rubber gloves. Unless you're, you know, a proctologist or something. So just settle down. I, I don't understand it. I, I, I look at the supermarket. People are buying like four loaves of bread. Why? Is something happening to bread? Something happening to our wheat fields? No, nothing's happening. Nothing at all. So some people must think we're going to have a complete societal breakdown as a result of this virus. But we're not. Now, we may have it one day as a result of government, but we're not going to have it as a result of the virus. More people will get sick. More people will pass away. I don't say that to be cold. I say that because that's a fact. And by the way, same with cancer, same with heart attacks, same with stress. I can go on and on down the line. This is something we're not familiar with. This Wuhan Coronavirus. Young people who have strong immune systems, no underlying uh, uh, issue, for the most part are going to be fine. Hey, look, here is an Israeli, I didn't even know there were one of these things, virologist. Virologist. V-I-R-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. A virologist. In other words, he's an expert on viruses. Urges world leaders to calm public, slams unnecessary panic. In other words, you may not agree with this guy, but there are more voices out there that you're not hearing. A leading Israeli virologist on Sunday urged world leaders to calm their citizens about the coronavirus pandemic, saying people were being whipped into unnecessary panic. Professor Jihad Bishhara, the director of the Infectious Disease Unit at Petah Tikva's Bellison Hospital, said that some of the steps being taken in Israel and abroad were very important. 
But the virus is not airborne, he said. Most people who are infected will recover without even knowing they were sick. The at-risk groups are now known, and the global panic is unnecessary and exaggerated. He said, I've been in this business for 30 years. I've been through MERS, SARS, Ebola, the first Gulf War, and the second. I don't recall anything like this, he says. There's unnecessary, exaggerated panic. We have to calm people down. He said, people are thinking there's a kind of virus that's in the air. It's going to attack every one of us, and whoever is attacked is going to die. That's not the way it is at all. It's not in the air, he says. Not everyone who is infected dies. Most of them will get better and won't even know they were sick or will have a bit of mucus or some other effects. He said, but in Israel and around the world, quote, everybody's whipping everybody else into a panic. The leaders via the media and the wider public who then in turn start to stress out the leaders. We've entered some kind of vicious cycle. He urged the public to internalize that quote. We're talking about a virus that is not airborne. Infection is via droplet transmissions. Only if you are close to someone who has the virus and you get the saliva when he sneezes or coughs, can you get ill? And if you don't, then maintain personal hygiene, primarily by washing hands. Of course, you can touch surfaces, too. He said the virus did not appear to be too intelligent, unlike the flu, which is very intelligent. It changes, adapts, and infects people via their airway passages. Bashar said some of the harsh steps taken in Israel, which has essentially closed its border, limited gatherings to no more than 10 people, closed all educational facilities, and so forth. Uh, We're motivated by the leaders' acknowledged awareness that the Israeli health system will buckle under any further strain. So they're trying to limit the damage to the health care system. Home quarantine has been ordered for everyone who has passed by someone who may have been infected by someone else, he protested, because they know that our health system cannot withstand coming under any more strain because we are perennially stretched to the limit. Referring to Italy's national lockdown, he said that quarantine is an effective precaution because there has to be temperate use. You can shut down a whole country, but there are other means, too. At this stage, he said, we know how the virus behaves, how it spreads, and which groups are in danger. We now know that the virus is primarily dangerous to old people and to people with a history of chronic disease and those who are immunocompromised. But virtually everybody else, he feels, is in decent shape. Appealing to Israeli leaders who are appearing every night on TV, he says, calm people down. Which is what I try to do here, for which I'm attacked by these left-wing funded websites as saying that the coronavirus isn't serious or dangerous. I have never said that. Why would I say that? I've never said that. It's not one or the other. You can believe it is a serious danger, that it's going to get worse. We all know that. That more people will pass away. We all know that. And yet, have some perspective, some context. There's no point in freaking people out. I have friends who some of these articles, <clears throat> they just show this, this, this exponential increase in deaths. It almost never ends. I go, come on now. Come on now. 
And the economy is going to take a hit. Not because the economy is weak. I've talked about this today, yesterday, last week. This isn't the Great Depression. This isn't 1929. This isn't any recession in our lifetimes. The economy is very, very strong. What's happening is as a result of the virus and steps the government's taking, from a healthcare perspective mostly, is having a very negative impact on the economy. But the president is right. Once we get through this, whenever it is, you're going to see the economy explode again. You will. But what caused the panic buying? And what caused the panic in the first place? Chuck Schumer? His floor speech? Nancy Pelosi, her press conferences? MSNBC and CNN? The news pages and editorial pages of our major left-wing newspapers in this country? The Today Show? Good Morning America? CBS This Morning, if there is such a thing. The Morning Schmo and Mrs. Schmo. All the same people. All the same people who felt they could take out Trump over Russia, over the Ukraine, over campaign finance, over whatever it is. These are the same people who've caused the panic. It's the same political party. I'm being absolutely honest with you. That has caused the panic. And then you saw some conservatives, whether it's a National Review or other, said the president needs to step up. The president needs to step up. The president did step up. Just because he wasn't grabbing every lever of power and squeezing it as hard as he could, as fast as he could, doesn't mean he didn't step up. He's been reviewing this, examining this, taking steps, some known, some not known. Governors have, mayors have, county commissioners have, some of them have been right, some of them have been wrong, which is the nature of government and the nature of human conduct, quite frankly. Then we have the Democrat candidates running for president, the last two, Biden and and Sanders, and we'll be watching the election results where Biden's going to win in three states, I believe, but that's all right. We'll get to that later. Where the president's incompetent, he hasn't acted fast enough, and they're being prodded and pushed by the media, leading them, really. So, I'm not even saying it's not a crisis. But you know what's funny? That's the nature of life. Life is filled with ups and downs and some very serious downs. That's the nature of countries, which is nothing but a collection of human beings. Some horrific things have happened in and to and with this country since its founding, before its founding. There's no escaping these things. But you don't want to be less free, broke, and less well-off as a country and as individual human beings as a result of these crises. We fight wars for liberty, to protect our way of life. I've heard it said by governors and by the president, this is a war. 
to war against this invisible enemy. I got it. It's a war on the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus. But as a result of this war, we need to defeat this enemy and retain our liberty and retain our economic system. And I hope we do. That these changes that that we're seeing in our political system are not permanent. I fear it because of what Nancy Pelosi tried to do last week and accomplish somewhat in the bill she had passed. She wanted you and me to fund abortions on demand. She tried to slip it into the bill. She tried to slip in other other provisions for permanent sick leave. Small and medium-sized businesses would have to pay, which would shutter many of them. And other long-time Democrat Party agenda items. And when I hear Mitch McConnell say today, basically, to the Republicans in the Senate, look, you're just going to have to swallow hard. We've got to get this thing passed. This is the problem. Got to get what thing passed? Well, people need money, and they need money right away. I've looked at, so far, two of these proposals, and they're, what we get is the people reading these proposals is very little specifics. But based on what Mnuchin has said, and based on what others have said, who've made proposals for direct subsidies to individuals, apparently direct subsidies go to people who still have jobs, who are not employed, who are not on long sabbaticals. So it's not going to people who are unemployed. It's not going to people who aren't getting a a paycheck. It's going to everybody. Except the wealthy, of course. But I mean everybody out there, even those who are employed. 95, 97, 98% of those of adults who are in the workforce, of adults are in the workforce, are employed. So we're all going to get a check? Not only that, there's proposals that $500 for youngsters and, and infants for families to spend. Why are they unemployed? You get my drift? This is George McGovern's dream. This is called economic relief. I just wish we had a Treasury sector who was a little bit more careful about this and a little tougher with Nancy Pelosi and his negotiations. And I wish we had a majority leader in the Senate who wasn't so quick to spend money. He's good on the courts. But man, does he like to spend money. Anyway, just some food for thought, as we say. I'll be right back. Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. 
Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. John, Spokane, Washington, Sirius Satellite, as I understand it, a restaurant owner. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. I've been listening here to you, and uh, it, it does. It drives you crazy. These They're trying to pass these bills to uh, get some relief to these people that have been laid off, like, over the weekend. Like, Friday, we got off work. They canceled schools up here in Washington, and then... On Sunday, they closed down all restaurants, bars, and any social gathering places. Well, and then you listen to the Congress on the or the, the news people about the bills that they're going to pass, and they want small businesses to uh, cover extended leave, medical pay. Well, we just got shut down over the weekend. We've well, well first of all, you make a brilliant point. People who run a restaurant, these businesses, most of us don't. They just passed a bill imposing more requirements on these businesses that they just shut down. And that's what you're talking about. Exactly. It's absolutely nuts. I I don't – this is what drives me crazy. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, look, you own a restaurant, fend for yourself. But it's another thing – the truth is you can't fend for yourself because you're you're hit with local regulations, state regulations, federal regulations – all kinds of HR requirements, right? Exactly, exactly. And no, by the no, way, no. this money they say they're going to get the small business, how much of this do you think actually is going to get to you? 30% if. It's going to go through one bureaucracy after another bureaucracy, and then you're going to have to follow these rules that they put in place, especially your damn state that's so left-wing it's not even funny. Oh, it's absolutely crazy up here. I was thinking, well, if I've got employees that have been drawn a paycheck each and every week for the last year, why can't they expedite unemployment to these people who need the money, right? I'll shut down. In other words, use the system that's already been paid into by you and by them. Exactly. And expedite those. I don't know. I thought we had unemployment insurance. I thought businesses and the employees pay into this this is what i don't understand i thought we had food stamps i thought we had all this stuff but apparently not i wish you all the best john we'll be right back from the westwood one podcast network he's here he's here now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811-877. Oops, oops, oops. We have a temporary number. Hold on now. 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. Our normal broadcasting center is empty. It's being sanitized. 
So we're broadcasting from our wonderful affiliate, the great WABC, where I began. And so we need to use a temporary phone number. By way of Denver, right, Mr. Producer? All kinds of complicated patchwork going on here. I want you to listen to what I'm talking about here when, I, when I'm warning you that there needs to at least be more attention, or at least look over your shoulder or with one eye at your liberties. Because there are forces in this country who do not view this as a temporary effort at economic relief. And I don't even understand these proposals, to be honest with you, where we're giving $1,000 to every person under a certain income level, $500 to children and infants in the families or something like that. It just depends. They haven't really worked out the specifics. They're doing that now. Is everybody in America unemployed? Well, Mark, you don't understand. It's, it's not really for them. It's to really get the economy going. You're not going to get the economy going when you put the brakes on the economy. This is a different situation than in the past. This kind of subsidy or stimulus is very unlikely to do a damn thing other than run up the debt. Because you are shuttering places where people meet. More than 10 people is the guidance. Well, think about that for a minute. That's virtually every workplace. Virtually every eatery. Every sporting event. Every theater. Every classroom. I mean, think about it. So how are you going to jumpstart the economy by handing cash out to people? Well, at least it's believed out of necessity, you're shuttering all these businesses. And we just had a really good guy call, a restaurant owner. He said, look, that bill that Pelosi pushed through in the Senate, excuse me, in the House with the Democrats, that requires me to pay for a certain period of sick leave now. I don't have any income coming into this place. Now, why would Pelosi do that? She knows that because Pelosi wants to put something in place permanently. Permanently. I want you to listen to some of these things, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to play them for you. Let's take a listen to the mayor of New York City, our biggest city. Eight and a half million people. Metropolitan area, over 20 million. Bill DeCamio on CNN today. Cut one, go. Uh, you know, God bless Mitt Romney. I'm glad he's offering an idea. But $1,000 is not going to cut it for people if you're talking about a three to six month crisis. But I mean, th- so you're calling upon the federal government to do more than $1,000 a month to send to people. 100%, Allison. Right, stop. I'm, I didn't know we were talking about $1,000 a month. Did you, Mr. Reducer? $1,000 a month? I thought it was $1,000. You did hear this? $1,000 a month? Universal income. Through the back door. Universal income. $1,000 a month? Go ahead. Let's be honest. People want to work We're telling them they can't as a matter of law, if you will. 
it's not safe to work, but the cost of living doesn't go away. You still need food. You still need medicine. You still need to pay the rent. What are people going to do? You can go on Medicaid. You can go on food stamps. If you were employed, you have unemployment insurance. There's all these temporary bridges that are supposed to carry you through a July or August, a three, six, eight, nine-month period. You have COBRA. You have all kinds of stuff that we've built into our system that we've paid trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars for. They make it sound like there's nothing out there, that there's zero there. But anyway, go ahead. Can't get an income. I mean, employers, I'm sure, will try for a period of time. But at a certain point, they're not going to be able to pay people. And so why would you then impose new regulations on them from Washington, D.C.? So what he wants here now is a minimum guaranteed universal income. These programs we have for people who are temporarily unemployed, and we're told this is a temporary virus. I don't think the virus is going to go on for 40 years. I'm just a pedestrian, but I really don't think so, or in, or in this form having this effect. Cut to go. If the federal government doesn't say we're in the great unknown, just like we were in the Great Depression, my family went through the Great Depression. I remember the stories that my older relatives told 25 percent. We all do, genius. We all do. And I told you, folks, what's today, Tuesday, yesterday, that they want FDR back. The Republicans do, too. They want the massive centralization of government beyond the massive centralization that we have. They want nationalization directly or indirectly of industries and supply lines. They want to control the workplace, reaching in the bars and restaurants. I'm talking about the left. They want new, huge uh, impositions on employers. I'm telling you, this is why you have to at least look over your shoulder, at least keep one eye open. Hey, we're going to stimulate the economy. Hey, I have an idea. 750. No, 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 no. I hear 850. I hear 850. Do I hear 950? Do I hear a trillion? Oh, I hear a trillion, trillion, trillion. Who should get it? Everyone should get it. Everyone. But what about the unemployed? Shouldn't they just? No, everyone gets it. The infants get it. Everyone gets it. We've got to stimulate the economy. But we're shutting it down intentionally. How do you stimulate what you're shutting down? Anyway, go ahead. Overnight in this country. The federal government under Franklin Roosevelt stepped in and said, we're going to do something we've never done before. And they made sure there was money back in people's hands through jobs and other forms. No, 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 no. Dimwit. You just said there was 25 percent unemployment. When Franklin Roosevelt was elected president, there was not 25 percent unemployment. He took a recession and he crashed in the stock market and turned it into a massive, deep, decade-long depression where you had... High double-digit unemployment, the highest, for years on end. They were managed by bureaus. He set up, (coughs) excuse me, so-called brain trusts. We'd never seen anything like this in this country before. Created all kinds of economic dislocation. And he rewarded his political friends and punished his political enemies. All kinds of corruption and all the rest. This is what they want to see again. This is what they want to see again. But Trump's not going to give it to them. And that's why it's really appalling when you read a piece last week. Trump needs to step up. Step up to what? Franklin Roosevelt? Because that's what the left's demanding. That's what the left's demanding. 
Of course, if you were Franklin Roosevelt, as I said last week, you'd be rounding up Chinese Americans and Americans of Chinese descent and sending them to internment camps. Anyway, go ahead. Now we can't do that. Let's be honest. The federal government prints money. They bailed out the auto industry, the banks, etc. Time to bail out the American people. Oh, isn't that clever? Well, many of us oppose the bailing out of the banks in the auto industry. It was the leftists and the rhinos who demanded it. And I said back then, and millions of you heard me, you create these precedents and we can't get the hell out of them. Now, we need to bail out the American people. Well, what the hell does that mean? I thought he was focusing on the people who were unemployed. You have to bail out the American people, all of us? And these people who are unemployed, as the restaurateur and I were just talking about last hour, they're relatively newly unemployed. That's what we have unemployment insurance for. And his great, brilliant point was, we'll speed up the unemployment payments to these individuals. Why are we doing all this stuff? So they're making two arguments. Help the unemployed, even though it's not purely focused on the unemployed. Even though they're newly unemployed, it's everybody, virtually everybody. Social Security recipients, uh, people who are employed, and on and on and on. It's, it's, it's you know, raining money. No, no, but you don't understand. We need to get the economy rolling again. Well, where exactly are you going to spend this money? And by the way, I thought it was a one-time hit. Maybe it's not. Maybe some proposals it's a one-time hit, a thousand bucks or whatever. But some proposals it's $1,000 a month. And my friend Chip Roy, wonderful freshman congressman from Texas, 21st District, says, we don't even have time to read these bills. This bill that was pushed through by Pelosi was worked out with a handful of people, pushed through the, the House, where they were working with Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. He said, I'm asked to vote on stuff. I don't even know what the hell exactly is in it. I know some of it. And by the way, I'm sick and tired of that, too. And then McConnell. Well, you know, hold your nose and vote for We even have conservatives coming up with proposals like this. I mean, I'm just saying. How about we deal with the virus? I'm not against some stimulus. I'm not against some rational program. But I'm against these massive spending. Just pouring money out there probably have the same effect as Obama did. And by the way, again, the economy will recover once we work our way through, or the virus works our way through the population. And we look back, if, if the economy grows and it grows strongly, it's not because of any of this so called stimulus spending. It'll be again because of you. You with your entrepreneurial mind, you with your, with your long work hours, you. Wanting to earn money for your family. That's what makes the economy roll. None of this other stuff. Let's see. Let's go to Chuck Schumer. Cut four. Go. Second are people who are hurting. I think about in my state, Broadway. Now, now when you think about his state and the people who are earning, a lot of people in New York. Are you thinking about Broadway, Mr. Producer? The people who work in the theaters, 
I'm not putting them down in the least. People are people. They have different jobs. I get it. But is that really what energy? It just shows you what an elitist phony this guy is. What his mindset is. Where it's focused. Oh, Broadway, my God. And I'm not focused on the actors, of course not. Direct, the people who sweep the floors. The people. Notice he didn't say the mechanics, the construction workers, the electricians, the roofers, the plumbers, the taxi drivers, the bus drivers. Didn't even enter his vocabulary. Go ahead. Not the people who can't go to the shows as much as they've read it. What about the people who collect the tickets, who clean the aisles, who work backstage, who are not working and not getting any They can't get unemployment insurance? They don't get COBRA? There's no food stamps? What the hell are we paying for these programs for? Why do we even have these programs? I don't understand. And Broadway just shut down, what, five days ago? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. percent of the vote is is in in the democrat primary in florida i don't believe the panhandle's in yet but it won't matter biden has nearly 60 percent and sanders has a little over 20 percent so biden's going to be the democrat nominee and you know i'm the last one to make these predictions because i don't think it's appropriate but this is reality there's literally no way for sanders to get it unless something happens to biden And so the Democrat Party is knowingly nominating an individual who is mentally incapable of being president of the United States. I want you to think about that. And the media know it. So they protect him, and they celebrate him, and they promote him, both the Democrat Party press and the Democrat Party. So they are literally nominating somebody for president of the United States who, God forbid, should he win, will be the first president for whom the 25th Amendment actually is applicable. See, the media and the former federal prosecutors and the defense lawyers on television who talked about the 25th Amendment, the nitwits and the halfwits and the dimwits, Joe Scarborough and his lovely wife, among many, never understood the 25th Amendment because they never read it, let alone the history of it and the purpose of it. If a president is physically or mentally unable to do the job, not if they disagree with the president, that is, if there's some kind of a, an actual uh, diagnosable ailment 
that prevents them from conducting the business of the office of the presidency. That's when the 25th Amendment kicks in. And it's a rather complex process. There are actually more than one process in the amendment. Never had anything to do with President Trump or any prior president. It will be relevant to Joe Biden. So I'm going to start here and now, right here, to make the point that Joe Biden, God forbid, should he be elected president, will be our first 25th Amendment president. And so it'll be very important to see who he chooses as his running mate. And I've said before that I expect it to be Kamala Harris. Some people are saying Elizabeth Warren. The only difference there is ancestral background, because they're all radical nutjobs and frauds. And if they were in charge during the Wuhan, China, Corona virus, all these concerns I have about your liberties vis-a-vis the power of the central government, all these concerns I have would be slapping you in the face. Because they do not have the constitutional restraint and mindset of President Trump. They simply don't. And all those never-Trumpers and pseudo-conservatives out there who've been trashing the President of the United States and suggesting he's a dictator and so forth and so on. This, of all the other things that should have demonstrated otherwise to you, this should demonstrate that to you. But it won't, because they're ideologues like the leftists that they claim to reject. That they claim to reject. Now they go on and on and on with false stories in the media. One of the false stories in the media was that the President of the United States shut down this office in the National Security Council for pandemic issues and emergencies. That was a lie. Where did this lie come from? The media. Not just one media source, but it became a chorus of media barking and howling. To the point where a a government reporter for National Pubic Radio raised the question. She happened to be an African-American woman. The president said it was a nasty question. So, of course, Mika Brzezinski, who is a woman of no color, she came to the defense of this woman and said, obviously, the president is both sexist and racist for dismissing the question. Actually, the president was right, and you're an idiot. And I'll get to that in detail when we return. Call our temporary number, 866-505-4626. That's 866-505-4626. Don't worry, it's only temporary. All right. Computer systems and cars are the new normal. From electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But all this advanced tech is expensive to fix if and when it breaks. That's why I have CarShield. We have it on our 2010 Camaro, as you know. And CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers and GPS, electronics, and more. Doesn't take much. For the bill to go through the roof. That's why you need protection. And with CarShield, you're behind the wheel of your plan. CarShield has customizable monthly plans with rates as low as just $99 a month. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. 
CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. With rates as low as $99 a month, you have nothing to lose. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN. Either way, both ways, you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com code LEVIN or 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN. A deductible may apply. We're going to take some calls in a moment. So those of you who have called in, we have good callers. Just hang in there. But I want to read this. Tim Morris and I, I made passing reference to this last night in the Washington Compost. No, the White House didn't dissolve its pandemic response office. I was there, he writes. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, former senior director for counterproliferation and biodefense at the National Security Council. He said President Trump gets his share of criticism. Some warranted, much not. But recently, the president's critics have chosen curious ground to question his response to the coronavirus outbreak since it began spreading from Wuhan, China in December. It's actually November. It has been alleged by multiple officials of the Obama administration, including the Washington Post, that the president and his then national security advisor, John Bolton, quote, dissolved the office, unquote, at the White House in charge of pandemic preparedness because I led the very directorate assigned that mission the counterproliferation and biodefense office for a year and then handed it off to another official who still holds the post. I know the charge is specious. Now I'm not naive. He says, this is Washington. It's an election year. Officials out of power went back into power after November, but the middle of a worldwide health emergency is not the time to be making tendentious accusations. When I joined the NSC staff in 2018, I inherited a strong and skilled staff in the counterproliferation and biodefense directorate. This team of national experts together drafted the National Biodefense Strategy of 2018 and an accompanying national security presidential memorandum and to implement it, an executive order to modernize influenza vaccines and coordinated the United States response to the Ebola epidemic in Congo, which was ultimately defeated in 2020. It's true the Trump administration has seen fit to shrink the NSC staff, but the, bloated, the, but the bloat that occurred under the previous administration clearly needed a correction. Defense Secretary Robert Gates, Congressional Oversight Committees, and members of the Obama administration itself all agreed the NSC was too large and too operationally focused, a departure from its traditional role coordinating executive branch activity. As the Washington Post reported in 2015, From the Clinton to the Obama administration's second term, the NSC staff had quadrupled in size to nearly 400 people. Did you know this? I didn't know this. 400 people? That's why Trump began streamlining the NSC staff in 2017. One such move at the NSC was to create the Counterproliferation and Biodefense Directorate, which was the result of consolidating three directorates into one, given the obvious overlap between arms control and nonproliferation, weapons of mass destruction, terrorism, and global health and biodefense. It is this reorganization that critics have misconstrued or intentionally misrepresented. If anything, the combined directorate was stronger because related expertise could be commingled. The reduction of force in the NSC has continued since I departed the White House, but it has left the biodefense staff unaffected. Perhaps a recognition of the importance of that mission to the president, who, after all, in 2018 
issued a presidential memorandum to finally create real accountability in the federal government's expansive biodefense system. You know, Trump gets credit for nothing. The NSC is really the only place in government where there is a staff that ensures the commander-in-chief gets all the options he needs to make a decision and then make sure that decision is actually implemented. I worry that further reductions to the NSC could impair its capabilities, but the current staffing level is fully up to the job, he says. You might ask, why does that matter? Won't it just be a historical footnote? It matters because when people play politics in the middle of a crisis, we're all less safe. We're less safe because public servants are distracted when they're dragged into politics. We're less safe because the American people have been recklessly scared into doubting the competence of their government to help keep them safe, secure, and healthy. And we're less safe because when we're focused on political gamesmanship, we're not paying much attention, enough attention, to the real issues. For example, we should be united behind ensuring that in a future congressional appropriations package, U.S. companies are encouraged to return to our shores from China, The production of everything from medical face masks and personal protective equipment to vitamin C and penicillin. And we should be united in demanding to know why the Chinese Communist Party was aware of the the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan in early December. We now know November. And he says maybe even November. And didn't tell the rest of the world when stopping the deadly spread might have been possible. Just as the United States has fought against fake information aimed at our elections, we should fight back against Communist China's propagandists. They're not only campaigning against the use of the term Wuhan virus, a more geographically accurate description than Spanish flu ever was about the 1918 pandemic, but now also promoting the false claim that it was created by the U.S. Army. Public health officials had pinpointed a wild animal market in Wuhan as the outbreak's origin. We talked about this on Life, Liberty, and Living on Fox on Sunday says there are real threats emanating from this pandemic. We need to focus on getting our response right. Save the finger pointing for what comes after. This is the United States. We'll get through this. And for the love of God, wash your hands. Excellent piece by Tim Morrison. So it was always a lie. This pandemic office was not closed down. The NPR reporter was promoting a lie. She hadn't done her homework which is what most of these left-wing Democrats fail to do. Their homework. The president has done a lot of things to streamline government, to improve its performance. And you'll never know it from the media. They're not going to tell you a damn thing about it. All we get is it's racist. They want to know why the president calls it the China virus. Why do you think they call it the China virus, you left-wing idiot goofballs? Why do you think? And stop spewing Chinese propaganda. Jim Garrity at National Review. We're in this crisis because of the decisions of the Chinese government. That's why we call it the Wuhan Chinese uh, virus. Why else would we call it that? Because they have some responsibility for it. And so... uh, He talks about the Chinese government destroying samples and suppressing information about the coronavirus in December. Suppressing information about self-quarantines. Chinese labs identified a mystery virus as a highly infectious new pathogen by late December last year, but they were ordered to stop tests, destroy samples, and suppress the news 
a Chinese media outlet has revealed. A regional health official in Wuhan, did I say Wuhan? I meant Wuhan, center of the outbreak, demanded the destruction of the lab samples that established the cause of unexplained viral pneumonia on January 1. China did not acknowledge there was human-to-human transmission until more than three weeks later. The detailed revelations by Caxon Global, a respected independent publication, provide the clearest evidence yet of the scale of the cover-up in the crucial early weeks when the opportunity was lost to the control uh, lost to control the outbreak. So why do the New York Times and CNN and the rest of the, the mob keep telling us not to call it Wuhan or Chinese virus? Why? Because the Chinese propagandists have put out the word that it's racist. The only reason you're calling it the, the China or Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus is because you must be racist. And the Chinese government attempt, uh, governments attempt to silence doctors' warnings uh, others about the disease. With a doctor that said that seven people seem to have contracted SARS, the respiratory illness that spread from China to more than two dozen countries and left hundreds dead in the early 2000s. Back then, one patient was quarantined at his hospital in Wuhan, China. And he urged people to be careful. Well, this doctor and seven other doctors were quickly summoned by Chinese authorities for propagating rumors about SARS-like cases in the area. But the warnings were prescient. Soon, health officials worldwide would be scrambling to combat a novel virus with a striking genetic resemblance to SARS. Most of these horrific viruses over the last half century have come out of China. They've come out of China. And Governor Cuomo of New York said, look at China's leadership. Tom Friedman praises China. Mike Bloomberg praises China. Joe Biden says China's not a problem. And the Chinese authorities spending January, quote, denying it could spread between humans, something doctors had known was happening since late December, and went ahead with a Chinese Lunar New Year banquet involving tens of thousands of families in Wuhan. Doctors say that in Wuhan, people who had no connection to the Hunan market were among the first showing the symptoms, suggesting that from the beginning, Chinese authorities would have should have understood that human-to-human transmission was already happening, even by the Chinese government's own account of events. President Xi Jinping knew about the disease for two weeks before making any public comments. Even today, prominent Chinese citizens who criticize the government's response suddenly disappear. The Chinese government is much more effective at stopping the spread of information about the coronavirus than stopping the spread of the coronavirus. Pardon me, the Wuhan virus. You don't hear much criticism of the Chinese government, Mr. Xi, from our reporters. Why? Well, Michael Pillsbury told you why on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday. Because these reporters want access to Chinese officials and Chinese information. But China just kicked out or prevented the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and others from being in China to report about any of this. How about that? I wonder what I wonder what now Governor Cuomo thinks of China. Tom Friedman, Mike Bloomberg. How about CNN and MSNBC? They made more of a stink out of Jim Acosta. That fraud, that drama queen, being removed from the White House detail, even though there were other CNN reporters, for his own misconduct and abuse. Then they have what China has done to our free press. Isn't it amazing? Not really. 
I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Some calls. Some of you have been waiting a very, very long time. Oh, wait a minute. After this, the Media Research Center has been leading the war against dishonest news for over 30 years. Because the American people deserve the truth. And the media in this country haven't provided the truth for a very long time. They're very good at giving us opinions and propaganda, but the truth, not so much. That's why the work of the MRC, especially their Newsbusters blog, is so important. They focus 100% of their attention on the anti-Trump media, and they do it like no one else. Learn more about the MRC. Go to mrclevin.org. Yep, mrclevin.org. MRC's Newsbusters blog It's one of the most important websites right now. They're exposing all the media attacks on the president and his response to the coronavirus, <laughs> excuse me, which has been fantastic, by the way. That is their coverage of the MRC and the president's conduct. They will do anything to take down our president, including blaming him for a global pandemic, and that has been going on for weeks. As usual, the media never want to let a crisis go to waste. Luckily, the team at Newsbusters and the rest of the MRC are there to expose the media's dishonesty and make sure the American people get the truth. That's why we call the MRC America's Media Watchdog. Go to mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org. All right. Time to take some calls. Catherine, Vancouver, Washington, the great KUFO, KUFO, go. Hello? Hey, um, yes. my name is, hello. Yes. yes, yes. Hi, Mark. Yes. Oh, What's oh your God name? bless you. Um, yeah, my what? name is Catherine. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes. How may I help you? Yeah. Uh, hey, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, God bless um, President Trump. Um, I think that um, – thank God for his economy because that allows everybody to go out there and, and hoard a bunch of toilet paper and whatnot and products, number one. I just wish number- they'd cut it out because it really is absurd and obnoxious. It, 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 it's, it's inane. It is inane. And the other thing that I am really ticked off about is this um, – uh, When there by the was- way, I think the liberals should be forced to use leaves, don't you? Oh, I, uh, banana tree leaf. Banana, whatever it is. Uh, or, or drag themselves like dogs to the grass. And I'll tell you why. Because they oppose the lumber industry. They oppose the paper products industry. If they had their way, they'd be putting them out of business. So let them live in their world and let us live in our world. Go ahead. I, I am so saying that I totally agree. And the other thing is that... Um, the bottom line is that why are they trying to crash our economy? It makes no sense to me at all. I don't think they're trying to crash the economy. That is the, the administration. I think what they're trying to do is get ahead of this virus. And this virus spreads very aggressively. So if – look, can I give you a little story? Can I tell you a little story, Catherine? Yeah. I'm at my favorite breakfast place today. Yeah, I still go out here and there. Even though I have heart disease and asthma, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting there, you know, licking the tables. So a very nice gentleman who I like comes up to, leans over my shoulder and wants to talk to me about something where I can actually smell his breath. 
it's not particularly bad, but I, but I said to him, hey, bro, chimes have changed. you got to step away. You can't get in my face and talk to me like that. It was ridiculous. <clears throat> and then another guy who's hacking and coughing, I, I actually think he had the beginning of emphysema. I'm not kidding about this. I had a cup of coffee. He wanted to sit next to me and chat. I said, no. No, no. I'm not overreacting. It's just that you need to prepare for this virus. You don't need to panic. You do need to you need to think about your conduct, particularly when it involves other people. But I can't and other people can't have people getting up in your face and talking when all the experts are saying the way this thing is passed is through saliva. It doesn't mean a wet kiss. It means if you sneeze, you touch your hand, you touch somebody's shoulder, and then they touch their shoulder or something like that, you can easily pass this virus. So you need to take these simple precautions in your own individual life. I think that's why they're concerned about all these gatherings and so forth. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just want to make sure that we're mindful of our liberties and aren't just applauding as this, oh, what a great move bossing us around and telling us what to do. No, there needs to be a definitive health explanation for it. Thank you. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello everybody Mark Levin here our number 866-505-4626 our temporary number 866-505-4626 we are live and national And when it comes to substance and reasoning and liberty and individualism, the Constitution, the economy, philosophy, history, you name it, nobody's better. Let's just be honest. I like to be honest. Live and national for a reason. Larry Kudlow has an idea, and I like his idea. According to Jennifer Jacobs, whoever that is, Kudlow said if the U.S. provided a 100% immediate write-off for structures, equipment, research and development, and intellectual property, that would pay for the moving expenses for American companies based in China to move to the U.S. It's something we're thinking about, Kudlow said. Just an idea. I love it. I love that idea. You see, for me, our battle with China is a battle at every level. I'm for tariffs against China. I'm not for tariffs against our allies. People know this. It's not a surprise. I'm for tariffs against China. Why? Because we have to break that bastard government. That's the fact. It is a grotesque, genocidal regime that has its aim on us as its target. 
That's the truth. So for me, it's not only economics, although that would be enough, it's national security. It's national security. And I don't think it's a good idea to have so many of our industries with these massive investments in this communist hostile regime, including pharmaceuticals, including uh, raw materials and so forth, so that they can harm us and harm our people. And they have threatened to do so. And in this Wuhan, China, coronavirus situation, they're attacking us. These are the perpetrators of the virus because of their own culture, because of their own lifestyle. And then they hide it. They cover it up. They won't let our scientists in. The president has offered to send our best and brightest just to help find out what's going on. Of course, they said no. They kill their own journalists. They kill their own doctors, directly or indirectly. It would be much better if our company is located in the United States or with an ally. It could be an ally. It could be Canada. It could be Israel. It could be Australia. It doesn't bother me. But this is unacceptable. I think the Kudlow idea and the idea that's kicking around the administration is a great idea. 100% immediate write-off for structures, equipment, R&D, intellectual property that would pay for the moving expenses for American companies based in China to move to the U.S. It's irrational to believe that we can do all manufacturing in this country. We simply can't. We don't have enough people who want to be in assembly lines and be involved in manufacturing. Could certainly maximize it. Plus the costs. Some of our industries and their production lines are extremely expensive. And you, as the end user consumer, you're not going to want to pay it. And so that's relevant too. But China is a different story. Just like the Soviet Union was a different story. You don't build American factories in the Soviet Union. And then they have control over 80% of our pharmaceuticals. Well, China is now a grave threat to us, like the old Soviet Union was. And so it's important to adjust our thinking, to adjust our investments. That's what capitalism is supposed to be all about. And it is a national security issue, so of course the government should be involved in this. That's its number one responsibility. So I like this proposal or idea that's bouncing around. It's not just throwing money at everybody to stimulate an economy. Hey, hey, we got to get the economy going, so we're going to shutter all these businesses. Then we're going to give everybody a thousand bucks. Then we'll see how it goes. It won't go well. Meanwhile, Pelosi's pushing abortion. At every turn, we have a virus, she pushes abortion. We have a tax bill, she pushes abortion. Doesn't matter. It's sick, their obsession with abortion. Should be rare. and Well, it's not, apparently. Or at least they don't believe it should be. Now, it's important because so much of the press is corrupt ideologically corrupt and monolithic, that when one of their members puts their toe in the water, just for an instant, I'm not a Pollyanna. I understand that this particular individual hasn't 
changed her course and become a real journalist. But if she's going to put her toe in the water just for an instant, she deserves some credit. I like to think I'm a fair and just person. This person, believe it or not, works at the Constipated News Network, CNN. And her name is Dana Bash. Dana Bash. On Trump's press conference yesterday, or excuse me, today. The president's press conference today. Cut nine, go. But if you look at the big picture, this was remarkable from the president of the United States. This is a nonpartisan. This is um, an important thing to note uh, and to applaud from an American standpoint, from from a human standpoint. He is... Um, being the kind of leader that people need, at least in tone, today and yesterday, in tone that people need and want and yearn for in times of crisis and uncertainty. Hmm. Interesting. Now let's hear from Joe Scarborough, the morning schmo, from his studio in Jupiter, Florida. Cut 10, go. You know, at the beginning of of this administration, when we had a lot of leaders like, well, your father. Oh, yeah, that's big new Brzezinski. That was quite a leader. Led us right into the sand in the desert. Yeah, like your father, Mika. Your father was a schmo. Anyway, go ahead. Eight others all said we only have one president at a time. We have to do everything we can do to make sure this president succeeds. Well, obviously, this president has made that very difficult over the past three years. I'm hopeful that yesterday was a new beginning, especially as it pertains to this battle that we're let, let me facing. Let me tell you what's really going on here. You, and not only you, many, many Americans are now focused on watching the media who may not have been a month ago, two months ago, with this and that going on, Russia, Ukraine, it was a turnoff. Many people are watching this because it affects their lives directly, this virus. And they have been watching the media for the last month, and they are repulsed by what they've seen. They are repulsed by CNN. They are repulsed by MSNBC. They're repulsed by Dana Bash and her Comrades, repulsed by Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, and their comrades. That's what's going on here. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a crisis, they build it up and then shoot down the president of the United States. And yet the people see through this. They see that president is doing everything he can. He's working overtime, morning, noon, and night. So is the vice president. They have a wonderful team behind them. They are earnest. They are studious. They are smart. They're prudential. And the media narrative, which has been to trash the president, trash his response, trash the vice president as not being somebody who believes in science, all this idiocy, all these fabrications, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. Guess what? It's boomeranging. I've told you this. You can't watch the president and or the vice president at one of these press events and not be impressed with how hard they're working, how knowledgeable they are, how involved they are, 
the people they've surrounded themselves with, their coordination with governors, their coordination with local governmental officials, their coordination in the private sector, their coordination with other leaders of other countries. You can't watch these daily press events and not be truly impressed with President Trump and Vice President Pence. So the media narrative that was going on and on and on, and it'll still go on for the most part, reflects the idiocy and the corruption, not of the administration, but of the press, where they appear to be rooting against the American people, against the American people. Now, they'll deny it, but the way in which they've been reporting has obviously led a lot of people to reach that conclusion. And so now you see the utterly illiterate and inarticulate Joe Scarborough in his own way saying, you know, I'm going to get behind the president. But he makes it so hard. He really does. Maybe Maybe he's turned a new leaf. And Dana Bash, Dana Bash, you know, this is what we've been looking for. This what we've been looking for. The same people who have been smearing and character assassinating and trashing this president since the moment he announced he was running for office say this is what they were looking for. What's happening also, ladies and gentlemen, is the president is in fact a leader. He is, in fact, a top-level manager. He is, in fact, smart as hell. And he is, in fact, prudential. So is the vice president. And at a time like this, these qualities, these characteristics, are shining for all to see. No matter how much incoming they take from the press, New York Times editorial, whatever it is, whatever it is. The other day you heard a reprobate on MSNBC talk about how Trump and the vice president are literally killing people. Now, the American people hear that, see that, mostly thanks to me for highlighting it. And then they, they watch the reality, not the reality created by the left in the phony news media, the unfree press, but the reality of what they're hearing and seeing. They can't spin it because the people are hearing it and seeing it for themselves. And they like what they're hearing and they like what they're seeing. They're seeing sober, mature leadership. Not panic-driven politics. They see a press corps that's trying to catch them on every syllable. Didn't you say? Didn't you mean? Don't we have enough of this? What about this? What about that? What about this? And people put themselves in the place of the president or the vice president or a lot of those experts who are standing up there and they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I mean, that's not the kind of questions you should be asking. That's not going to give us information. And what do you expect them to say? So I'm not saying the press is turning, but you see a little bit of CYA going on. Just a touch so far. We'll see where it goes. Because the press knows what I know and what you know. 
is that President Trump and Vice President Pence and their team are doing a hell of a job. And yes, this will get worse. But it won't be because of them. It won't be because of them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. discussion about American companies investing overseas, particularly in China. And capitalism, we are told, just looks for efficiencies. And I'll go further if I follow this argument. And for the best pricing, not necessarily the right thing to do or the best thing to do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know why companies go to China or Mexico or Canada or go outside the United States? Do you think they want to go outside the United States? No American company, if they had the choice between American and Chinese law and conditions, would prefer China over America, except, except when the taxes, the regulations, the labor costs make it much more difficult to produce in our own country. Most businesses that invest in China don't like the fact that the Chinese steal 51% of their ownership of their companies or steal their proprietary interests. So really, these politicians who wring their hands have a responsibility to explain themselves. This is why I just said the Larry Kudlow proposal is a brilliant proposal. An immediate 100% write-off for investment in the, United, excuse me, in the United States for companies that are invested in China. You'll see them speed back to the United States. Now, why do they need to keep costs down when they produce drugs? Because you demand it. You demand it. When you go to the pharmacy, <clears throat> you're not prepared to pay three or four times more for your drugs. The consumer is king. Like running into the supermarket and buying all the toilet paper. Well, companies are going to respond to that. They've got to jack up their production lines. It's going to take a week, three weeks, five weeks, and produce all the toilet paper you want. Years and years of toilet paper. 
You and your tukas are going to be so happy you're never going to know what hit you. Toilet paper, day in and day out. Give it for Christmas, give it for Hanukkah. Every day of Hanukkah, open it. There's toilet paper. The market responds. That's what makes it so remarkable. But it responds to government too. The fact is, you want prices as cheap as possible. It's an amazing thing. You don't go into a store and say, I want the most expensive suit. Where is it? I want the most expensive dress. Where is it? I want the most expensive pair of shoes. Where do I get them? No, you don't. You look in the paper, you see a bargain. You go online, there's a bargain. You have a coupon, you want a coupon. Two for this, 50 pa- Oh, where, where, where's that? Where's the sale rack? Where? Okay. Well, the same thing applies to appliances, televisions, iPhones, pharmaceuticals. So what should happen? Our government should be more responsive to the market. But when you have the Democrats pushing endless family leave expenses and sick leave expenses, companies going out of business, restaurants going out of, they're imposing their will on them. And then you, why did why did they go overseas? They're unpatriotic. You know who's unpatriotic? The people who do this to America, in Congress and in the government. They're the ones who are unpatriotic. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. We have a temporary number for you to call, 866-505-4626. That's 866-505-4626. Here's something to think about, too, that's never discussed. What you will hear discussed is we don't have enough hospital beds, we don't have enough respirators, we don't have enough ventilators. Should this thing really blow up? And the answer is that's true. Because our medical system, our infrastructure, isn't built for the worst-case scenario. We have about 100,000, I just heard this from a Johns Hopkins doctor, about 100,000 ICU beds in this country. That's a lot. But let's say a million people come down with this virus. And let's say 10% of them need ICU beds. Okay, but there's other illnesses and diseases out there where these beds have to be used too. So they're competing with cancer patients, with heart patients, with people that have diabetes, and God knows what else. And you might say, well, why, why is that? 
Or maybe we have, whatever it is, 60,000 ventilators and 100,000 respirators. I don't know those numbers. I'm just throwing them out there. But if this pandemic becomes an epidemic and then all of a sudden we need more, we don't have enough. Why don't we have enough? That'll be the question. You cannot build a healthcare system based on the absolute worst case scenario and sustain that system year in and year out. You can't build a healthcare system that has half a million ICU beds, 400,000 of them that are empty all year long because when you have a bed, you need a room. You need equipment in that room. The overhead is simply crushing. You can't just produce a million ventilators or respirators. These are serious machines. They're complicated machines, and they cost money, and they have to be maintained. Where are you going to put them? Well, a hospital can use storage units. You're not storing furniture. For the most part, it's not like that. But there are overhead costs to this stuff that kick up the expense of health care. And you can't possibly know what might be coming. Some kind of virus, some other kind of disease that causes a, a massive epidemic. Maybe a nuclear war, whatever the hell it is. So you're never going to have a healthcare system that's maxed out every day of the year just in case. Nobody does that. That's why... There's not toilet paper in supermarkets today because you're not going to produce so much toilet paper that even if there's a run on toilet paper, you'll have enough toilet paper. So there's never a run on toilet paper. It doesn't work that way. And it can't work that way. You can't have maximum production of every item, of every service, maximum capability, 24-7, Every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year, and every year in the decade with that kind of overhead. And when you do, if you did do that, theoretically, that means resources that potentially should go into something else don't. They don't go into something else. And maybe that something else is more important at the time. So when you hear people say, I don't know if our healthcare system can handle it. We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough respirators. We don't have enough ventilators. They happen to be correct, at least right now. But it's nobody's fault. It's not because the president should have ordered this or he should have known three weeks before. Congress needs to spend another $3 trillion. That's not the point. That's not helpful. And what, and what happens after this epidemic to all these beds and all these rooms and all these ventilators and all these respirators? Now, it's true that we can increase the number of ICU beds. We shouldn't pretend this isn't happening. It's true we should increase the number of respirators and ventilators. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that this is happening. And when somebody needs a respirator or a ventilator, that means they're right on the cusp, baby. That means they may well die if they don't get them. So I can see a focus on that as opposed to other things when the government's prioritizing what it's purchasing and and its guidelines. 
But you're never going to have a max-out situation where you always have enough. I can't think of anything. Because even when there's overproduction, that overproduction has to correct itself if you want to stay in business, or if you want to have a capacity to take care of people and have enough resources available to spend on other priorities and other matters and other anticipated events, perhaps. Does that make sense, Mr. Producer? Mr. Producer is probably eating a steak sandwich there. Yeah, they're closed right now. So he has he has to bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from home now. He's very depressed. I happen to like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches myself. Did you bring toilet paper to the studio, Mr. Producer? They're providing it. Well, it's one day it's going to be like Cuba around here. You're going to, to bring your own toilet paper. Because for some reason, this virus, which has nothing to do with your butt, by the way, and has nothing to do with toilet paper... We have a run on toilet paper. It's like incoherent. I don't even understand. It's like, what, are they a paper? It's like one person hears it, then the next one, hey, let's go, let's get it. Just in case we run out of toilet paper in June. And by the way, nobody can sustain that. No grocery store. No, uh, no major warehouse store. Nobody can sustain that. And, should, and nor should they have to. All right, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. I'm not saying we shouldn't produce more ventilators and respirators. Quite the contrary. I think we need to. I'm just saying when people say, why don't we have more? It's almost a ridiculous question. Why don't we have more bread? Why don't we have more toilet paper? Why don't we have more of what I need or what the country needs? Because at the time, nobody knew. And how do you anticipate a virus like this that comes out of China? Or this type of virus? which they're ter- still trying to figure out in many respects. So it's the question that I'm engaging, not the fact that we need more ventilators and respirators. And I have a very good authority that that's exactly what we're trying to do. There's also doctors out there who say we actually have half a million to a million people walking around right now with the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus. 
I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. There's only been about 20,000 tests done. I don't doubt that there are 500,000 to a million people walking around with this virus. More remarkable that there haven't been the, the, the kind of uh, deaths that you see in some of the other countries, even though that'll pick up. That'll pick up. This is, this is a... It's not a government-made disaster. Except in the Chinese government for the way that they treated it at the very beginning. You know, when China did what it did, it lied about what was going on, it covered it up, it was killing its doctors, killing its citizen journalists, destroying the data early on, preventing our scientists eventually from coming, now throwing out whatever media we have there, which is very little, throwing them out too. China made it impossible for us to react as quickly as we might have. This isn't a put down of our government or our president in the least. They blinded the entire world for weeks. For weeks. And even when we were seeing what was starting to go on, hearing what was starting to go on, satellites and other people were, and people were starting to tell us. Our Congress was busy debating whether there should be more witnesses to try and take out the President of the United States. That's what the Democrats did. Now they can't spend enough money as they ring the bells of alarm. Little late boys and girls over there. But now they have ideas. Spend money and more abortion. No, my point isn't that we should not have more respirators and ventilators. That would be insane. No, my point is when people say, why didn't we have more? Why don't we have more hospital? Why don't? Because no industry builds to an epidemic or a pandemic. None. It's unsustainable to be in this kind of mode, whether it's production, whether it's emotional, whether it's psychological, whatever it is. It's impossible to be in this mode every day for decades. It just is not possible. You can't function, and economically it's impossible. I mean, look at this hit that we've taken in a relative short period of time. That's my point in addressing. And, and you have these doctors who come on, <clears throat> these experts who've been working with the president. Why don't we have enough ventilators? And they just keep beating up this poor woman. Well, I just told you why. I just told you why. Why didn't we have enough tests ready to go? Ready to go for what? They didn't even know what this was. This is the nature of sham, superficial journalism. Gotcha journalism. People asking the president these questions. Why don't we run out of ventilators? Unbelievable. There's got to be some level of rationality brought to this. And it's not intended to downplay the seriousness of this, nor is it intended to create panic. And there's plenty of panic. We don't need to create panic. Enough already. Just do what they suggest you do, the experts. Do what they suggest you do. And this will have a shorter life than it otherwise would. That's the truth. They know who's vulnerable. Senior citizens are vulnerable. 
They know who else is vulnerable. People with other severe illnesses. In other words, this is really a virus of opportunity. It goes after senior citizens whose, whose, whose bodies can't protect themselves as well as young people. It goes after people with various other illnesses, heart disease, um, weak immune systems, which can account for a lot of people with a lot of illnesses. So it's almost a virus of opportunity. So if you fit these various categories, be mindful of that. Just as you're mindful of other dangers that that you face in your life. And conduct yourself that way. And for a period of time, you know, you're not going to like it. But it can make the difference. Let's go to Jerry, Akron, Ohio, XM Satellite. Go. Jenny, I'm sorry, Jenny, I, I miswrote that. Sorry, Jenny, you're up. Yeah. Hey, Mark, what an honor. Hey, Thank just you. I just want to let everybody know I'm a truck driver. Um, we are fully committed out here, and we are 100% behind this president, ready to do whatever he needs us to do. If that means 20 loads of toilet paper a day, that's what's going to happen. Um, that being said, uh, we rely heavily on antibacterial products. So if manage, you know, manufacturers or whatnot could figure out a way to get those out here to us, we'll gladly buy them. What are we talking about? Um, uh, Lysol things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bacterial things. Yeah, yes. we desperately do. Number two, one more, one more thing for the government. When they're putting up pop-up testing sites, I ask that they don't forget about us. We can't now, where, where, do you, where, where are you based? Where do you live? Uh, I live in Ohio. I'm losing you, Jenny. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. There are the metropolitan areas and the other areas of the country. I think what they're finding, though, is in the areas of concentration. That's where this virus um, thrives, uh, where there's a, a concentration of people. I don't just mean at a pub and so forth. I mean, you know, heavy populations in our cities and so forth. But you're quite right. I mean, everybody needs toilet paper last time I checked, and I didn't even check. All right, Jenny, thank you for your call, my friend. Jan, Lakewood, California, 870 The Answer, the great KRLA, where we are live and national. Go. Yellow. Yellow. Hello. Yellow. Hi. Hi. You're on. Okay, hi. I didn't hear my name. Sorry, Mark. Listen, no I called uh, because I was talking about um, the bailouts, and I don't think that they're the answer. I went ballistic today when I heard that Boeing was mentioned, and I think it's absolutely nuts that Senator McConnell is uh, telling the Senate that they should hold their nose and support some of these measures. It's crazy. Yeah, they ought to be a little bit more careful if they're going to do this and fine-tune it. Every American shouldn't get $1,000. Every American shouldn't get $1,000 a month, or virtually every American. <clears throat> every industry doesn't need to be bailed out. I mean, uh, you just don't throw money out there and expect it to stimulate. It doesn't work that way, uh, particularly when you're talking about a, an economy that structurally is very strong. It is the virus and the reaction of government that's having this impact. 
necessarily in many cases, but nonetheless, you got to be a little bit more pinpointed about it. I agree with you. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you to all those people working morning, noon, and night to try and beat this virus. God bless you all. I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.